It is a beautiful morning, it's a great day, and it's really good to be together on this Resurrection Sunday, yeah? So glad we can be together as a family. I know we've got a few that are um, out of town, uh, vacation time for uh, a variety of people, but man, is it ever good to be together. So let's pray and just ask God to uh, help us as we turn to the scripture this morning. Lord, I thank you so very much that you didn't leave us in this life to just scramble around and try to figure things out on our own, but God, that you love us, that you saved us because you love us, that you care about us, and that you've given us help, and that today we can remember the truth that Jesus is alive. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I forgot to mention, we do have a few uh, birthdays celebrating this week. Jamara is tomorrow. Brian uh, Beach is Wednesday, and Patrick is on Thursday. A lot of happy birthdays. Make sure I try to, can only forget but so much, right? All right, so uh, if you were with us last Sunday, we were talking about Jesus, our Passover lamb, and uh, remembering his sacrifice on the cross. And this morning, I want to pick up the story at that place. Uh, but don't worry, it's not going to stay sad. It's going to be happy because <laughs> Jesus is the way. You can say, that's right, I believe that, amen. This, it's, those are acceptable practices in this room. Yes, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to a personal relationship with a loving God. That was so nice, I'll say it twice. Jesus is the way to a personal relationship with a loving God. That's what I believe. So we come to the story in Luke chapter 23 and verse 44. Luke chapter 23 and verse 44. Luke is a a doctor. Luke was a pagan by practice. Luke is one of the people that was there that saw these events. Uh, Luke is also has kind of become their historian. He's the one that investigated, talked to everybody that was an eyewitness account. And when Luke writes this letter to Theophilus, what we call the Gospel of Luke, is an an attempt to compile, to bring together the eyewitness accounts of the various people that were there. Now, we also get from Scripture this truth that not everything that happened is covered because that would take up a lot of books. Um, But that's the effort of what's going on. And at this point... Jesus is on the cross, and in a spiritual sense, what he has done is he has taken on himself the sins of the world. My sins, your sins. And as a result of that, on the cross, he feels the full weight of the consequences of our sin. He's endured being falsely accused. He's endured being sentenced by Pilate to death in favor of a murderer. He's been publicly mocked and beaten. He has been tortured and crucified. That is what Jesus went through for us. He took his our sins on himself. He suffered a broken relationship with the Father. He did this so that we can receive forgiveness and new life. So that when I confess my wrong, I can find forgiveness Enjoy my guilt removed. Luke chapter 23, picking up in verse 44. By this time it was noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. 
And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that he that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But the time, by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by law. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, Two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. The the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to them. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings And he went home again wondering what had happened. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened during the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and our other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and 
They had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And Jesus said to them, you you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he he went home with them and sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And this is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful that what we just read is the truth. It's the truth. It's, it's reality. We have the, on the screen, we have the various uh, sources, the text from this story larger than uh, what we just read just now. Listen, I, I understand what it's like to be, you know, you, you may be here thinking, yeah, I, I'm not looking for the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny. Jesus? I, hey, listen, even his followers didn't believe. Like they walked away from their jobs. They walked away from their homes. They walked away from their friends. Followed him for for years. And even though he had predicted, he predicted that he was going to be killed. He 
he sourced the scriptures before it happened. He pointed out to the scriptures, the prophecies and the truth. And he pointed out to them, listen, I'm the Messiah. And that means that I'm going to be put to death. And guess what? I'm going to come back to life. He predicted it. And when it happened, they still didn't believe it. It's easy. Oh, those silly guys. But let's get real. Even if you call yourself a believer today, you may have doubt. You may have questions. I, I understand that. I've, I've felt that way myself before. I remember feeling and thinking, yeah, this is all just stuff that people talk about. You know, the people that feel like they're better than me. This is all just something that has been made up. And then I, I came to a place in my life where it wasn't going the way that I had planned and definitely not the way that I had hoped. And um, I came to feel like my life wasn't worth living anymore. I found myself standing at the edge of a 110-foot cliff when I made my own decision to follow Jesus, even though I didn't understand everything, even though I wasn't sure what all I believed. See, I, I personally believe that doubt can be your friend. In fact, I, I believe that there is nobody that has faith that is true, faith that is strong, faith in the supernatural, unless you wrestle with doubt, unless you have questions, unless you come to a place of being honest with your doubt. And you might be here today and you're a church person and you've never gotten honest about your doubt. Or maybe you're here and you're a person you've always felt like you're far from God and and you, you've, you've thrown out what your doubt is and, and what the things you are that question that you just, you can't, I can't believe that that's really true. Like, I, I believe that there are people that read this stuff and that are nice and I kind of like being around them, but I really struggle with this. I want to say that until you get real about your doubt, your faith will not be strong. Doubt is a friend. And uh, I know that in our modern discourse, a lot of that comes to questions of science. And so I am really happy to announce this morning that coming up at the end of this month, we're going to start workshops called Faith and Reason. We're, we're going to have some gatherings where we get together. We've got people here that have sought out these things. And let's talk about science. Let's talk about these things and these questions that we have and what we believe and what we don't believe. Let's pursue it. We have scientists in our congregation, science teachers. And today I have out on the book table for you for free a couple of books that I think may help you personally or maybe even help conversations with people that you know written by people that were intellectuals, people that were atheists, didn't believe in God and set out to disprove this whole Jesus thing and their journey and what it was like. And I want you to pick one of these up for free. One is called More Than a, Car- a Carpenter and one is called The Case for Easter. Let's get real and honest about our doubt. So I just talk about a couple of elements of this from a natural perspective before we finish with talking about a spiritual perspective. This is what the outside of the city, when they led Jesus to before killing him, this is what it looks like today. I know it's kind of hard for us to think about this living in Baltimore and 2,000 years down the road, but this is a real place. And they have historians and 
scientists of historical facts that have pursued these things. And so this is what it looks like. And in fact, um, where Jesus was killed was public. The Roman government at that time was from a purely academic or scientific perspective, the best historians that human history had ever known. And in fact, in their law and order, in their execution of punishment of sins, and their execution of people, they very carefully documented how they killed people for crimes. And so the hill where Jesus was killed, we, we know where it is today. We know where it is today. There's, in fact, the road that was in front of it is still in front of it. In fact, right down below the hill, there's a bus station today, and right at the bottom of the hill, there's dumpsters. I know people that live in Jerusalem. These are the facts. And this is the front of the hill where Jesus was crucified. And some people think that it used to be called the Golgotha or the skull because you may see in the hillside a couple of notches that kind of look like eye sockets and a skull. This is a place that still exists today. And scholars have very carefully examined things like the arbor, the, 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 the area of olive trees that Jesus prayed in. And these are olive trees that date back to that time period that may have been there, even though they were baby trees at the time, when Jesus was there and prayed through the olive trees. And this is the spot that scholars believe where Jesus was buried. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man, and, and so it was an established place. It was a place that people knew. Like, we know Greenmount Cemetery. We know who's buried there, even in certain unmarked graves, right? People knew where Joseph of Arimathea was buried. They, this is a replica of what the stone would have looked like. People had a concept of that, and this is the inside of that tomb. This is where Jesus' body would have been laid and then suddenly was missing from. Are you with me? Listen, 50 years after Jesus walked the earth, even 100 years after Jesus walked the earth, there was so much in the way of evidence of his death, burial, and resurrection that no serious scholar who was writing at that time disputed it. There was so much in the way of facts And I just want to present just a few of them from the account that would have been easily verifiable or disproven by people who lived at that time. And I don't know if you were aware of this, but today we have literally thousands of copies of documents that were written when Jesus was alive about this stuff. In fact, if you take an academic approach to the proof of history, we have more historical proof that Jesus was alive killed and came back to life than we do that JFK was assassinated. There is more proof. So here's just a few, just a few things. One was the trial before Pilate. This is an official of the government. There are historical documents, not just the Bible, not just stuff written by other people that were trying to promote this belief. There is written proof of this trial before Pilate. We also have... The Roman crucifixion, which I've mentioned already, we've talked about in the past, this is would have been a verifiable fact. They kept records of who they crucified and how it went down. They kept records of what happened. Anybody that wanted to, that was alive at this time, while people were walking around saying, hey, do you know that Jesus came back to life and he appeared to me? If somebody else 
found it hard to believe, just like they found it hard to believe before Jesus showed himself to them, they could have gone and verified these facts. Not only that, but the, the temple curtain that was torn. Now this is, this is one of particular note and I think that has some spiritual significance. This is a picture here of what the temple would have looked like at the time that Jesus was alive in Jerusalem. Now some of you that have been around the Bible for a while, you say, might be saying that looks a little bit different. You're right. Because Herod had remodeled, renovated the, the, the temple and you may remember that the temple had been destroyed before. So compared to the temple that Solomon built, Herod took that main small area that you see in the middle and he made it taller. Now, what this means is that the curtain that was torn in two, okay, you see a a picture of it there. This was a single piece. There wasn't a part down the middle. It was a single piece and it was 60 feet tall. Look at the ceiling behind me. A lot taller than this room. The curtain was 60 feet tall, and according to ancient Jewish tradition, it was four inches thick. It would have been made of blue and and purple and scarlet material and, and fine twisted linen. Now, some of you would recall that this curtain was keeping them from, in a ceremonial sense, the most holy of holies, a room in in the temple that God had said was a place of his most intimate presence. And it was a place that they were not allowed to go except for one day a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go behind the curtain to make sacrifices for their sin. So, At the moment of the death of Christ, there's an earthquake, the sun goes out, it's dark. We read that there are people that were raised to life, came up out of the ground of the cemetery, and then went into the city. People are freaking out. This is a marked supernatural event. All of these things in the natural world that people saw, they heard, they they could go and touch... But this thing with the curtain, this is important. Hebrews chapter 10, just going to lift a little bit from verses 19 through 20. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Just as was mentioned in our time of communion, Jesus' sacrifice for us is once and for all. It's one and done. And now we have a way to be made clean, for our sins to be forgiven. The the curtain was torn away into God's presence, was there, was evident. It's what God was doing. Many of these signs that I've mentioned and are easy to find in other places are also recorded in first century Jewish historical documents. The people that would have had a a vested interest in trying to disprove Jesus recorded the events that we see in the, in the New Testament in their own historical documents, placing them at 40 years 
before the temple was destroyed. Exactly when, according to the Bible, Jesus was killed, buried, and came back to life. So listen, I I am not trying to wipe away all your doubts in a few minutes. But I am trying to say that if we take even just a logical approach, we must recognize the historical veracity of what happened. Now, from a spiritual perspective in talking about what all this means, it's kind of important that we wrestle with that too. I love this quote because I think it summarizes it so well. What makes God's gift of grace so costly is that Jesus paid for it with his life. What makes it so powerful is that he came back from the dead proving that he is the Son of God and God accepted his sacrifice as payment for our sins. It's true. It's true. So, explaining this, it was Jesus himself who said, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus continued to say, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. We heard this a little bit earlier. Let me read to you the larger context. Romans 3, 23-25. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. And I had a a very good friend that I carpooled with, amazing guy, concert master violinist and gone through some great tragedy of life. So brave. And one day in our carpool, totally out of the blue, he was born Jewish and but didn't believe anything along those lines. Out of the blue, he says to me, so 2,000 years later, what's the big deal with Jesus? I thought that's, that's a legitimate, important question. Romans 4.16, the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift. It's so important for us to understand today. This is not about you trying to become a better person. It's not what this is about. Look at Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 11. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came just at the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. 
This whole thing is not about us trying to become a better person by doing things that are good and trying to prove it with our behavior. This is not about us doing or saying things so that God will love us more. No. When you were at your worst, God already loved you to the max. You don't have to do anything to earn the love of God. In fact, you can't. So let's be very clear about the facts. God loves you with all that he's got. He's given you his best, his most valuable. Because he loves you. Right now, today, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever your morning was like, no matter how bad your attitude is now in this moment, no matter what you are distracted by in this life, God loves you to the full now. Now his love is made complete in us when we give it back to him, when we reciprocate, when we get into relationship with him and our life can become better. We can have more peace and more joy when we respond to him. Sure, but that doesn't make us a better person. It doesn't make us more love worthy. God loves you with all right here, right now. And to take the words of Christ when he was given an opportunity to heal someone and instead first he said, your sins are forgiven. He said, what is the harder miracle? To heal his sickness or forgive his sins? Jesus has already done the harder miracle. You see on the screen, we were, we certainly be saved through the life of his son. The resurrection life matters. If Jesus isn't alive today, then all of this is foolishness. And we should be honest about that. It's pretty ridiculous. Really. I could have stayed in bed. But if he is alive, if God could do that, And that's why his followers, that's why the people in this story were willing to be put to death before they would say it wasn't true. And almost all of them were. Because if God could do that, what else can God do? What miracle in your life is possible? Because if God can do that, Jesus was dead, 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 deader than a doornail, dead documented by the best dead. If God could do that, what else could God do? Just in closing, let's be clear. This is about having your guilt removed and your relationship with God restored. We can receive and respond. We can receive the love of God and we can respond. How do we respond? Jesus said we should repent and believe. We should turn away from living for ourselves and we should live for God. That's how we do it. Jesus is the way to a personal relationship with a loving God. That's what that means. That's why we can live out our thank you. Life should not be, I've got to live by these rules. No, it should be, Thank you, God, for what you've done. I live from that place. That's how, that's why we can live like Jesus and share his love. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer today.
God, I thank you so very much that Jesus is alive today. That we can talk with him, walk with him, live life with him. I thank you, God, the Holy Spirit. You're with us, our companion, our guide. Thank you that you are helping us. Lord, we celebrate your resurrection life today. I thank you that it is true. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Look at your neighbor. Tell them they look good today. Let's have a great week. Grace and peace to you. Have a good day.